welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have someone sharing their unique story and tips on getting into the industry. And today I'm very happy to have on episode Andrew Lemon. We met in person at QSETCon last year, and he's a very highly skilled offensive cybersecurity expert, you know, pen testing, red teaming, you name it. He's very highly skilled and has a passion for sharing with the community. And so I'm happy to have him on today to share his story and his tips. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, Philip, thanks for having me. Well, it's great great to, to have you on. How is your, uh, I know it's not quite as new of a year anymore, but how's 2022 going for you so far? Uh, we've been on fire. Uh, everyone wants security now, and it's been great for us. It's been great for the community. and. Um, just trying to stay on top of it. It's been a challenge to get content out, uh, getting new TTPs out, while also just maintaining and keeping customer relationships going with just how much work is coming in. Yeah, imagine. And, and now that things are, people are feeling safe getting out in person, then that makes, adds more challenges too. But it's, it's, it's good to have in-person things going on again. Yeah, definitely. And we've had a lot of uh, physical um uh, physical pen tests come back up. They got delayed for two years. So those have been popping off like crazy. So lots of travel. Oh, that's good. I'm sure you're, you're glad to do, be able to do more of that after not yeah. being, after being away from it for a while. So for our listeners, uh, why don't you share about yourself? So my name is Andrew Lemon. I'm the principal security engineer at a pen testing firm called Alias. Uh, we are a, a boutique firm. So we kind of just take on everything and anything and everything. We started out as a forensics company uh, 10 years ago and then moved into cyberspace. So now we do everything from forensics to incident response to pen testing, as well as some managed services. Uh, About me, my whole job is the principal security engineer. I'm the head of reconnaissance and destruction. So my job is to find new and interesting TTPs and then disseminate those down to the team or disseminate out those on social media so that people can learn how those work. That whether that could be anything from how we scan, say, a radio environment to a new red team technique to just a fun new Locksport uh, tool or something cool that we find in the community. Very cool. And I, I really uh, like the creativity of some companies, the, the titles they come up and the name, the terminology they use, because, you know, a ethical hacker has been overused so much and then sometimes trying to compare the different terminology because you know in the in the industry and i still see that all the time uh jason haddix had posted today 
what do people think about these roles and just asking opinions and if they want to learn more because Jason shares a lot of stuff, but he had mentioned pen testing and red teaming separate, which I kind of expected from Jason. He's been a consultant and worked in the industry. And so it's good to see, see when people get it right. I mean, it's too easy to have the confusion when you have, you know, sometimes some books come out from people that are not security, ex, you know, SMEs, maybe they did research and wrote the book and maybe there's some things that are missing because even like on a, uh, on a college perspective, someone that learned in a college, you know, ethical hacking or pen testing, a lot of times the information they get is based on what someone's read or their perception of the field that hasn't actually actually worked into it. So your your role's kind of changed a little bit then from what you're originally doing. Can you kind of explain because you because you're uh, making TTPs for your team and sharing those and doing research, so you're more involved in tool creation and techniques opposed to just purely uh, pen testing and red teaming, right? Yeah. So our CEO wanted to make sure that I had the environment to grow. And so he wanted to specifically call out and say, your whole job is to research and break things. Uh, And then also I got into a point where I was leading the team at that time. I built out a team and they were running fairly well. They were pretty autonomous and it became overkill to have me on a pen test. So for now, generally what I do is I just serve as that escalation point. So if the team is on a pen test and they're struggling and they say, hey, we can't get any creds, I'll drop in and I'll get domain admin and then parachute out. Or, hey, we're stuck on this. I found this one bug I want to exploit. I'll drop in and say, here's how you set up burp. Here's how you configure that flag. Here you got the hash. And then I bail out. So most of my role now is kind of just uh, I'm that next tier in the event of things going really wrong. Uh, Or when a big client, say, gets breached or someone who has an incident retainer with us. I'm usually the first boots on the ground to kind of set the stage for our incidents, how that's going to be responded to. And then I build out the recovery plan. So for the most part, I am building and disseminating. Oh, that's very cool. I'm sure it's got to be kind of a nice, nice change because sometimes unless you got a, a lot of variety in testing, sometimes things can be kind of repetitive and get boring. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I get to always chase the new and interesting stuff and figure out how to break it better. And I'm not just stuck with the same, here's a Volum scan, here's a risk assessment, here's an AD review, here's a firewall review. So it's been a, a nice change from where I was. That's good too. And that really helps the success of your team because, you know, people that are new coming in industry, everyone is new at some point or another. And I just kind of remember when I was starting out, just trying to research and figure things out. And that's taken away from your time of pen testing. And there were people to rely on, but sometimes they were too busy to help. But to have someone to do that, and just one of the things I see is a, a shortcoming of a lot of uh, companies, especially like their internal resources, is not keeping a good wiki or repository of things. You know, you figure out how to to, to validate a certain finding. You're going to document that. You know how to do it. But if you don't share it, then everyone that comes on new has to figure it out all on their own. They're taking all this time. Uh, people have different ways of doing it. doesn't necessarily you have to have just one specific way, but documenting that makes more efficient time of your practitioners as well as helps bring them up to speed quicker. Yeah, we've gone as far as recording videos for certain specific tasks along with the commands that then we can pass on to the team and say, hey, review this video or look at this or skip to 237 of this video to see why you're failing at doing X, Y, or Z. So that's been kind of cool for us. We do internal training once a week where I actually sit, sit everyone down and teach them some new concept that maybe they don't know. That's very good, That's that's great more companies need to do that. And, you know, training doesn't always mean sending someone out for training. You know, there's some things I'm sure 
that you're teaching that we we can't find out there in anyone's online training. So I'm sure, you know, and be able to create stuff at that speed compared to when someone like an offensive security or SANS can release that kind of training. Right. So, yeah, I'm sure just curious uh, as far as, you know, you've worked in other companies and you saw people progressed. How does how does this seem to work for the new people or, you know, uh, maybe not even so much new people? How does that help with the development of skills since having a resource like that? It's been interesting for us. Uh, one thing that I always say about pen testing is a lot of people are coming into the industry and they're thinking that if I learn how to break this thing, then I'm going to be a pen tester, right? Hacking at its core has always been, let's make something do something that it's not supposed to do. And so I have a lot of younger engineers coming in that they've done everything on half the box. They're the top 1% and they can explain curb roasting to me. But if I said, build a lab so that you can show me curb roasting, they can't do it. They don't understand how AD works and how to set up an SPN and how to set up Kerberos. Or, uh, Kerberos. Uh, same with double tagging a VLAN. Sure, they can replicate the attack and double tag a packet for a VLAN traversal, but they don't understand how switching works. And so that's something where why we've chosen to go the route that we've done is we're teaching people the infrastructure. Um, you'll see something like don't store passwords using reversible encryption in Active Directory. I like to actually show our engineers, let's build out Active Directory, and now let's right-click on that account, and then let's check that box, and this is why this does this. So instead of wondering, when I run Mimikatz, why does it spit out some passwords in clear text and some passwords not in clear text, I can definitively show them this is why this works, or this is why this is broken. And same thing with like SMB signing with SMB Relay, where I can show so SMB Relay is enabled versus not, and this is the expected result. It's a, a really good path where I found a better understanding. It's helped our engineers kind of troubleshoot through problems. Whereas now, instead of having to call me and say, I did, I followed this exact guide and it didn't work. They can now troubleshoot through the problem because they know uh, maybe I need to put this in domain context or I know to use the IP address of the domain controller instead of the DNS name because I don't have a DNS entry. So it's been a, a really cool thing for us to kind of spin up. That, that's really good because people miss miss that so much. I mean, because, you know, when I got started in pen testing, I mean, it's been like over 10 years ago now. But when I got started, you know, you had some of these classes and stuff, but I came from a sysadmin background, so I knew some of this stuff. And so nowadays the roles are out there. You know, there weren't as many pen testing roles. It was really starting to get going out there. And a lot of people and not saying people should have to be sysadmins or whatever. You can learn the skills, but that's one of the things that people miss a lot trying to, to learn the pen testing skills, you know, they, you know, as far as formally structured stuff out there, there's not tons of it and knowing where to start. It's great that people are getting to learn some of the infrastructure and sysadmin related topics. Cause that's very helpful. You know, people ask me all the time, do I have to be help desk or, you know, desktop support or sysadmin before I get in? And, you know, really they just need the skills and that's great the way y'all are going beyond just showing how to exploit it showing how to troubleshoot it. Yeah, we have one of the, the toughest, most painful interview processes because we, we built a culture of people that we enjoy working with. Everyone has the option to work remotely, yet everyone comes in the office. And we have engineers that just want to break things. And we'll ask people, what was the last thing that you hacked? And so it's kind of cool to see that people just want to break things and tear them apart. And I think that's the, the real essence of what we do. And that's why we do it. I mean, a lot of us, if we won the lottery, you wouldn't have to pay us a dime to come back and keep doing this. 
yeah, that's the that's the kind of people you want because you know this isn't it's not an easy industry and you have to spend well, you know, there's some people that can get by working less hour, working 40 hours a week and learning along the way. But then there's some of them like myself, I had to do a lot of study after hours to learn things. Yeah. I don't ever want to actually think about the amount of time commitment I put into this <laughs> just because I, I leave the office, I go home, I sit down at my desk and I do the exact same thing for fun. Uh, a lot of people are getting into the industry and they're thinking, well, if I just get my OSCP, I'm, I'm done. If I just get excerpt, I'm done. And the great thing about security is there's never a finality. You are never finished. You are never the best and you're never an expert. And the more, the sooner people realize that that's kind of the thing, I think the sooner people realize that maybe is this the right career field? It's kind of disheartening for some people to realize that if you stop learning today in five years, you would be a terrible pen tester. You might be able to get 20% of the orgs. Uh, you might be able to get compromised, but the, the world moves so quickly in pen testing. What you knew five years ago isn't going to cut it five years from now. That's a very good point. And if you just look at technology in general, how technologies have evolved, we're getting new technology all the time. You know, it's when I was kind of getting started out uh, in 2012, you know, IOT was a thing, but it really wasn't that popular yet. A year or two later, it really started catching on and people are having to do IOT pen tests. And, and just kind of before I forget about this thought too, is the, it's interesting, and I'm glad you mentioned building the labs because a, there's a lot of good resources like Hack the Box and, and Try Hack Me to learn on. But one of the things it's doing is people aren't getting the experience building those labs. So those are great resources. But you know, just for people listening, you know, there's you know, building a lab is still a good thing. Building stuff on your own is still good. That's one of our primary interview questions: is tell me about your home lab. And it used to be a, a more prevalent thing before those services came up. But it's still great if someone says, hey, I've got a rack, I've got this. And I know some people can't afford that. But with Amazon and Azure and all of these different sites coming up, my primary place where I build all of our labs and I do all of our training is through Snap Labs. And Snap yeah. Labs uses uh, Amazon backend and it's simple coding and it has default templates. If I need just an Active Directory environment, I can click a template and deploy a lab in five minutes and then demo whatever I need to demo and then blow it away when I'm done and be fresh. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Snap Labs and for the people on the defensive side too, they've got it's pretty cool that they got a Splunk Lab template in there too. I've actually regularly used that detection lab as a way to blow up malware and see what happens. And then I know it's not bad in my environment. Or when I get spam calls from Microsoft that they want to remote in, I like to let them drop into a lab there and have some fun with them. Yeah, one of the things I like too that you mentioned too, uh, and, and maybe you could describe this for our listeners as you mentioned you know, breaking things, making things work the way they were unintended, you know, could you kind of describe the true meaning of hacking and that, that origin? Because a lot of times people miss that and jump into what the media has coined as hacking, which are one, you know, figures it's cyber related or something along that lines. Could you kind of share with our listeners uh, some details on what hacking yeah. is and the origin? I may take it super old school, but, uh, I come from reading the 2600s and all the older books, but hacking in and of its core is just making something do something it wasn't supposed to do. So uh, a good example of that was years ago, you could take a black and white TV and because it's set on the same frequencies as say baby monitors and cordless telephones, you could actually tune the TV and pick up those signals. So that wasn't 
expected behavior. You weren't supposed to use the TV to pick those up, but it was a, a cool side effect. And moving into radio, we also learned that things like pox sag and then pagers, we could pick up the transmissions for those using like a just a radio tuner, like an RTL SDR, which you typically use to pick up, say, FM radio. But if you got in the right band, you could actually pick up and decode messages from pagers. And just moving that all the way forward, that's the essence of hacking. Like a, a buffer overflow is I'm going to send a bunch of data to a service to get it to overflow into an area of memory and then execute my code usually uh, to do something the application wasn't intended to do. It's the same thing with coercing Kerberos from uh, a domain controller or like using Responder to say, hey, send me your credentials using MDNS because you don't have a DNS record for that. Yeah, very cool. And one of the things that, you know, for our listeners too is, and it's as easy to kind of catch on the original meaning. When you see these colleges and these different companies having hackathons, it's always coding related. It's not really, it's not typically anything in the tradition, in the sense of what we view hacking today. But so that was a, a great explanation, especially the stuff with the radio stuff. And that's, you know, when you mentioned going old school, I didn't know whether you, how far he's going to go back with that, but that's a good relevant enough that people are using baby monitors. And I got to do a, a SANS uh, ICS pen testing class once, and we got to play around with some radio frequency stuff. We were able to pick up the the mic from the next room over where the instructor was giving a lecture. We were able to pick that up. So that's pretty interesting stuff that a lot of times people don't get exposed to. And it's good to be able to get to go to these hands-on conferences like your DEF CONs, Wild West Hacking Fest, and, and the such that you can actually get in and get to learn some of these different things. Yeah, what's old is really new again. Uh, before we couldn't, everything was really easy and EDR wasn't what it was, but the world's moving to side channel attacks. Uh, it's just a matter of time before uh, the EDR and the machine learning maybe finally beats us. I don't have a lot of stake in that, but I'm also planning my side channel attacks just in the event where I can start listening to processors or maybe uh, inserting code in new and unique ways. That, that's a great idea. And I definitely, I'm sure it will help your, your company be even more, you know, continue the success doing those type of attacks. So uh, we, we kind of mentioned, you know, kind of talked about what you do. Could you share how you kind of got started in the industry? What, what's your origin story? What did, what kind of got you into working in offensive security? Uh, we'll start way back again. My dad was a Novell admin and back then he was <laughs> testing for his uh, MCSE. And where most kids, their dad would read them like bedtime stories like Goodnight Moon or Corduroy, mm-hmm. my dad would read me MCSC and Novell documentation. So by 11, I was doing Novell work with my dad, uh, which I didn't think would ever pay off. But in high school, we ran Novell. Uh, that was awesome for me. Uh, I got my A+. I was a terrible 2.5 GPA student. It's not that I'm unintelligent. It's just that I was unchallenged. And I scraped by to get out of high school. I did a little bit of college and I had my A plus and I said, I won't work for less than $18 an hour. And this was back in 2009. And I, I held that, uh, that pride $18 an hour for about a month. And I'm like, I would really like some money. And I think at one point I was just like, I will work for minimum wage. Just give me any computer job. Uh, so I got hired on for a help desk role supporting Boeing. And it was just as a contractor and within the training, I'd mentioned that I knew Linux. I just passively mentioned Linux. Well, that someone took that and heard Unix, 
and said, oh, you know Unix, which then led me to get hired on to be a Unix admin. So I spent a lot of time as a Unix admin and, and they didn't know what to pay Unix admins because they hadn't hired one in like 40 years. And so they were just like, we'll pay him half of what we pay the guys in uh, Washington, which was a dumb amount of money for a 20 year old kid, but it was fun. Uh, the amount of work and the hours was kill was brutal. So I actually took a pay cut and I went and left for Dell and started in virtualization. Dell is a great place to work on their uh, security side, just be on their their enterprise side because they have uh, so much training available to you. They they give you just the fire hose. They send you to tr different training once a month. And I had a manager that would say. Uh, he padded his numbers with my skill set, and he would say, what cert are you working on? And he would send me to go get a certificate, whether that was Red Hat virtualization or uh, VMware vSphere, uh, all the storage, all the cloud, all the networking. I went and did all of those tests, and it led me to kind of ending up in a master engineer role, but again, unfulfilled. So I jumped ship, ran as an IT administrator at a law firm, did that for four years. And that's where I really started saying, I need to make this role what I want to do. And this is some advice that I give to everyone that I talk to and that everyone should listen. If you don't hear anything else, I say, listen to this. And that is do what you want to do. And most people will let you keep doing that, whether you're social engineering or you want a job in security. If you have been the exchange guy and you start your new job and you immediately go on the exchange server and you start fixing the exchange server, people are probably going to identify you as the exchange guy. And that's where people get in these career ruts. And so everywhere that I went, I said, how, how can I maneuver myself in? So as a network admin, I started making security changes. I first started implementing patching. And then I started demonstrating, here's why we patch. Hey, do you see this machine that runs Eternal Blue or that has Eternal Blue on it? I can exploit this and now I can dump all of this. And I was able to actionably show that this is why we patch, not just we need to patch because someone says so. And that led to us getting a bigger budget and that was fun for a while, but it didn't move the speed that I wanted. Uh, about this time, I, there was an opening at Sonic Drive-In, the headquarters. And so I went there to join their security team. Uh, I initially came on as starting and doing a PKI project where we were deploying PKI as a whole. Uh, it actually evolved into me doing a lot of demonstrations. I was one of the few people that had the ability to demonstrably show this is the impact of a hack. This is how you'd set something up. And this is why we do things. Instead of theoretical tabletops, I could bring my laptop to a tabletop, plug in and say, I dump LSAS. And if someone comes back and says, LSAS is encapsulated, I would log in somewhere and actually dump LSAS. And that's something cool that led me to being able to demonstrate that skill. And that's what really gave me the offensive bug. But corporate America didn't move fast enough for me. And I decided to move into uh, more so the consulting. I, I thrive being on fire. And so that's why I moved to consulting and that kind of where I landed with alias. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. I really like the references to, to Novell Netware. That's kind of how I got started in my sysadmin days. Uh, I taught myself how to build computers and I took a, a CNE certification course, which is like a 90 day course. And I got my first sysadmin job. So it's interesting, especially interesting to hear someone your age mention Novell Netware because a lot of people just don't. A lot of people, you, you know, well, they would have gotten into the industry before Novell kind of faded away. But to, to know that technology, that's that's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's hilarious when I start talking to people 
and I've got a kind of a younger looking face. And so people immediately hit on, they're like, wait, you just said vampire tab and you said Novell. Like, wait, how old are you? Or you mentioned dialing into a BBS and then they're very confused. So it's, it's interesting to throw off the old timers as well as the young guys with the back in my day stories. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Very, very great, good background and good that, you know, we don't hear so much or, you know, there's been a couple stories on here where people's dads were in IT or into technology or something. So that's was cool that you had someone to to kind of inspire you to, to you know, kind of get some ideas of things in the industry from. So that's pretty cool. And I really love the the statement you make about making the job what you want it to be. And some of the most successful people I know of have done that. I've got a former coworker that when he came to work for the company, you know, he was in security but he was a really good sysadmin, really good at figuring things out. And, and he basically took, you know, doing basic compliance pen tests all the time and went above and beyond. And now he's doing specialty type pen tests and not doing the compliance stuff. I've just found that, like I said, even within social engineering, uh, when I'm on site on a physical and someone says, Hey, you can't do that. I just keep doing what I'm doing because most of the time people are used to just saying stop and then, uh, you're, they expect a, a certain result. I, I kind of just keep going until I'm told to stop. And I've been told in multiple roles things like, uh, Lemon, listen, we love everything you did. But when you find a vulnerability, you should schedule a meeting and talk to the global risk and compliance team along with the director. And then we can decide whether it goes on the risk register instead of sending it via email to everyone. <laughs> which was a, a great one. Or another great comment that I got was, um, Lemon, you really have to stop escalating yourself to domain admin to get things done. And I asked specifically for that one in writing because I wanted to frame that quote. It was the most hilarious. Uh, if you're getting in my way, I'm just going to move around you, whether you're the network administrator or whatever. That's what I have to do. That's what I have to do. Yeah, the comment about not emailing and all this stuff and trying to keep it off the radar, that's what's wrong with security in our industry. The risk acceptance, people not want to remediate things. And I'm sure you've dealt with this too. You ever feel like you, you need a kind of a law degree or, or be a good debater to go in and defend your pen test report when you're doing the debriefing or report review or however you want to term it. Going in, these sysadmins don't believe that you hacked into this or don't believe this is vulnerable. And then you get the people that are trying to bargain to get you to lower risks on stuff and all that. So that's really the things that are kind of wrong with the, the industry. <laughs> I definitely made sure that I, uh, I learned CYA early in my career working in legal. And I screenshot everything with a time, with a who am I, as well as you can do as you choose. This is what I recommend because. And I, I find that a lot of people will assign an ad hoc uh, risk rating to something just because of a feel. Mm -hmm. Whereas I like to take a tangible thing and say, this risk leads to this, which could be a remote code execution, which compromised this. And when you add those up as like a CVSS score, you get a score of 8.9, which makes it a critical. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that having that concrete, instead of just a magical pluck from air, this is your risk, actually being able to tangibly say, these six things lead you to this criticality is a great way to kind of not even have to defend yourself. They're then having to argue against the CVSS rating. Yeah, that's a great way of doing that. And not just, you know, not just taking in consideration just that one single vulnerability, all the things in the chain, kind of like you're mentioning. Yep. Uh, mitigation as well. That's what, it's not all about patching. It's about risk mitigation and then uh, minimizing attack surface. Maybe you can't turn off a certain port or you can't get away from XP. 
but you can put compensating controls in place like a network segmentation or a certain tool that then blocks that or remove them from Active Directory, that kind of stuff. Good points. One of the things you mentioned I would really like to, to touch on because you know we don't get that many people that have worked in that area is the physical side. Could you kind of describe some of the things you do in physical pen testing? Because most of what people see are the typical, you know, network or application pen test, Wi-Fi pen test, or maybe even some hardware. But a lot of times people really don't get to understand and see the physical side. And that's what a lot of people think of when you hear about ethical hacking. You think of this James Bond type role where you're trying to break in doing these different type of spy t looking things. So could you kind of explain that area for our listeners? Yeah, uh, I kind of just paved the way myself. Um, we didn't do a lot of physicals when I started the company. We'd probably done a handful, but something I did was I, I stood on the shoulders of giants. There are people that, I mean, innumerable people, but the people that I really like to point out, uh, Johnny Long, uh, he's not a big name you hear anymore since he moved to Africa, but that guy was a major inspiration in my career. Jason Street, another great guy that did cool stuff and that uh, everything from him I have uh, just kind of encapsulated. Deviant Oldham, I liked all of his stuff. And I started with, I bought the tools and I walked around the office and I made little videos of, here's me popping a door. Here's this tool. Here's this. And then I took that a step further of, we started doing risk assessments and I said, well, let's do a physical walkthrough. And I would, hey, here's how I can manipulate this door and here's how I can do this. And I got enough people hooked with content that I built externally that then I could start pushing and saying, we want to do a physical. Our sales team has been great. Uh, they talked me up so well. They made me look exponentially cooler than I am. But they were able to then take all that data and then sell that. And physical pen testing took off for us just because there are very few people that can do it. And I talk about it at conferences a lot. People love hearing the stories about uh, how I climbed a fence and uh, stole a hard hat and a vest and faked a badge. So it's a, it's a cool area to be in, and it's, uh, it's been real fun. Yeah, I think it's one, one area that people just kind of overlook a lot because you don't realize that you can have the most secure systems, but if someone's able to get hands on a keyboard and maybe even the administrator walked away, logged in, you know, how, you know, how doesn't matter what EDR they got and all that, that, you know, they're kind of game over, you know. That's, yeah, we have an example of, uh, we, we have an internal competition between all the engineers of like, who's got the fastest domain admin. And I think that I hold the fastest domain admin at this time, in like three and a half minutes, uh, that was breaking into a bank walking past everyone into my point of contact's office who had left to go get a haircut and they left their computer unlocked. It's just cool stuff like that that ends up being fun. And we use the physical stuff on red teams all the time. Actual real red teaming as opposed to say just pen testing. We're actually, we have a goal and a flag. Uh, I will drop a box. I would much rather drop a box that's got all my tools on it and throw it in the ceiling than try to get a cobalt strike beacon dropped on a network. Very cool. Yeah. So have you, have you robbed any of the wrong banks like Jason street? <laughs> uh, I have never robbed the wrong bank. Uh, all the, every physical pen tester I've ever talked to has that story of the time they broke into the wrong thing. I do not. Uh, the most interesting one that I got was uh, a little nowhere town that served all of the nowhere towns around it. So a very big bank in the middle of nowhere. Um, I did have a run in with the security guard that had his hand on his gun, but that's about as exciting as it's ever gotten for me. 
Yeah, that would be scary. I was asked to do a physical pen test back in my consulting days and and turned it down because it was in a town right across the Texas-Mexico border. And when I looked at the details of the, the engagement, they were saying that the person needed to be bilingual, needed to speak Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish. And then they said that they send you with an armed bodyguard. And yes. that was enough for me to say no. <laughs> so that, we have a, a similar engagement, uh, exact same story where uh, the country is not a great country. The, the crime rate is like 75%. And I'm driven to the middle of nowhere by armed security who escorts me. And armed security gets to kick back in the Jeep, watch me break into a facility that's guarded by armed guard. And I'm supposed to, you know, I, I don't speak the language. I don't speak Portuguese. So this it's a, it's a fun thing to, yeah. Yeah. Talk about pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Uh, I asked about like, can we get a bulletproof vest for this one? I haven't had too many fears, but I think this one, I'm like, yeah, this, this one needed a bulletproof vest. Yeah. When you're in another country and you can't explain yourself, that's just a bad situation. And, you know, some countries, the way they deal with uh, crime is a little more harsh than here in the U.S. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shoot and ask questions later. So that. Right. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So uh, we know we've discussed your background and, and some awesome stuff that you shared with us. So what would be your tip for someone that wanted to get started in the industry? Uh, network. Yeah. Talk to everyone. Uh, I have people hit me up on LinkedIn all the time. Please hit me up on LinkedIn. If you're in Oklahoma, come shout out. Uh, but network. Uh, nepotism and flattery gets you everywhere in this community. I'd rather hire a face that I know, that I, I see that passion. If you're constantly popping up in my life, I'm going to think that uh, you really want to be here. And that's the, the people that I'm trying to hire. Uh, we don't necessarily – I'll take passion over talent because I can teach someone to do this. But – I can't teach someone to be passionate. I'll take it the, uh, the passionate, maybe less skilled over the brilliant jerk any day. So mm -hmm. one, do your networking and two, do your study. But again, also understand that there is never a finality. You are always going to be learning. If you're always continuing learning, uh, you'll be good. And that's things that I ask people. That's easy uh, interview question that I ask to weave people out. What's the coolest thing you've ever hacked? If you've never hacked anything, you probably aren't going to be a good fit. Uh, you should at least have something like hack the box or, hey, I played with this. I made this game do this. I did CVE hunting from things I downloaded on SourceForge. And then another thing I ask is, what's the coolest thing you've heard about in security this week? Because that also shows me passion. Uh, again, I, for us, we want to work with people that want to work and be in the industry. Uh, we want people to get excited when we find new pones or new exploits. If you aren't jumping up and down excited, it's just a job for you. Um, it might be the wrong industry. You have your place, maybe in a big four, but your boutiques, we all want to be here. Yeah. And that's some good points there because people have, you know, learned about the cybersecurity industry, that there's a lot of good pay here. And some people come in that are not really, they want the job, but they really don't care less about what they actually do. Absolutely. So uh, just kind of in interesting, you know, since you work for a, a boutique pen testing firm or boutique cybersecurity firm, a lot of people are familiar with some of the other consulting companies. Sometimes, you know, they require certifications. And I know part of this is you're trying to sell business to a customer. Sometimes it looks good when you can say our consultants has this and this, but it seems like the boutique firms rely more on pure skill 
of their consultants and less worried about certifications because even some companies even will, you know, request something like the CEH or something, which is really not any proof that you can hack anything. But uh, as far as like when you guys do your hiring, is it required to have certifications or is it just basically you're really more relying on the skills? We don't require any certain skills. We don't require any degrees and we don't require any formal training. Uh, one of the best engineers that we've had and we've since moved on to greener pastures and uh, helped skyrocket his success was a chemistry major. Uh, we don't care about the certs. The, our lead engineer and I, when we go through and we do our interviews, you can be the smartest person in the world. Uh, we come from the world of Dell where we, again, we were both master engineers there and Dell had the hardest interviews known to man. So we will take an area, and there are two of us. There's no way anyone's going to beat us in terms of knowledge because uh, we can go infinitely deep across multiple fields. If I don't know something, he knows something. And if that person stumps both of us, they're guaranteed a job. But we will basically take you to the point of, I don't know, because we want to see what your I don't know is or just yeah. how good BS is. But we again, we don't care for certs and degrees. Some of us have them. Some of us don't. We don't put them on anything. Uh, you won't see a single cert in any of our signatures. It's just, it's not important to us. It's its a piece of paper. It, it doesn't tell me how good you are to hack. I can talk to you for 10 minutes and tell you if you can hack or not. That's good. And, you know, there's pros and cons to having certs and not having certs. But, you know, some of the best pen testers I know of don't have certs or never taken any certification courses. You know, it's kind of a couple downsides to certs is, you know, it's kind of a a point in time capture of your skill set at that moment. And then it's also kind of could be narrow scope. So if you're studying for, you know, something like the OSCP, then there's things outside of that that you're not studying that are important. And so it's just kind of people, you know, the certifications have really, uh, I don't know, I guess people really expect them more or think some hiring managers or HR thinks they're, more valuable than what they are. So it's really great to see companies that are focusing on the skills and not so much the certification. Yeah. I want someone that shows me something cool. Like if you've got a blog and you say, these are the cool things that I've done at a boutique, the problem with certifications is like you mentioned, they are a subset of skills. It's a, we taught you how to do something at a certain time. Uh, the reason why we stand out over your traditional firms is because we do things differently. Uh, for example, if you hired a big four to do a, a pen test at a hospital, you may get a traditional pen test with everything. What we'll do is we'll take it a step further and we'll do radio frequency analysis. Uh, do we get any pacemakers popping up? Do we get POXAG from uh, pagers? It's whole encompassing so that we're going to take things a step further. We're doing cool things where maybe we're trying to replay um, – infrared pictures through a virtual webcam to bypass Windows Hello, because that's not something you're typically seeing. We want off the wall attacks that they, they don't conform to the normality because when you get hacked, yeah, it's possible. Uh, the majority of your hacks are gonna be a vulnerability that is known, but you're also gonna get something off the wall. So it's cool to bring that to the table and kind of outside the box thinking. And that's where when we have people that are passionate that don't have any formal training, they haven't been trained in a way that this is how things are supposed to work. So they don't know if they've got to figure everything out on their own, they can learn something maybe I don't know versus they learn the steps to get an exploit. And now they know this exact way to do that. 
that's why we like the people that have taken the initiative or don't have the formal training so we can kind of coach them and teach them how to go out and hunt these things. Very cool. So we're coming down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to mention or any shout outs you'd like to give before we end this episode? Uh, I guess uh, there were, there's one thing I didn't cover that was kind of the incident response side. Uh, that's been a, a cool thing to deal with. I've had to work against Conti a lot. And this is, again, something cool about working for a boutique is it's not just pen testing all the time. Uh, we're dealing with ransomware and those hacks. And we've actually got to use the, the stuff that we learned from Conti and then play that back on pen test. So traditionally where a pen test is do X, Y, and Z, now we're doing the adversarial emulation and we're learning exactly from the adversaries. Like Conti got their their playbook leaked. So that's kind of a, a cool step. And some people can look at, do your, like, do your research and look at write-ups. Like how did Conti hack things? Read through like own reports or reports where people have been breached, read the breach reports and learn how did someone actually get hacked? Because you'll find that your traditional hack the box and your try hack me, those labs will teach hacking, but maybe that's not actually what's happening. Uh, if I ask five out of 10 people how you hack something, someone will say, I get a local privilege escalation, get www user, escalate to root using a SWID, boot, uh, SWID bit um, escalation, and then I dump flag root.txt off the desktop versus someone that says, I used SolarWinds serve you to then pivot to a server and then dump a token that led me to pivot to a domain controller. Uh, it's, I think it's important to look at hacking as a whole. So look at it from who's actually doing what you want to do, right? If you learn CTF style, you might be great at CTFs, but you're not going to be a good corporate pen tester and vice versa. If you're a good corporate pen tester, you're probably not going to be a good CTF guy. And then again, I just want to reiterate that, that levels and learning. Um, even myself, I, I know that I have to keep learning and I've got three major goals. I like to throw them out everywhere. Uh, my first goal is I want to talk at DEF CON. That's been a dream of mine. I keep trying to put myself in these positions where I can talk to people, improve my public speaking. The next goal is get a CV associated with me. And uh, while I found some cool stuff, I'm still working because I don't want my first CVE to be a boring CMS. I want it to be something that's like a, a Samba RCE. I think that'd be cool. And then the third one is self-serving, and I only mention it because I hope one of your listeners can help me out. But at DEF CON, there was a guy that got paid to break into maternity wards and steal a fake baby. And so my goal is to steal a baby, a fake one, of course, but I just want to break into maternity wards so I can have that on the resume. <laughs> Very cool. I've, I've enjoyed getting to learn more about your story and look forward to you know seeing you at a conference sometime in person hear more about you know some of the things you've done it's very interesting it would have been that this is kind of your your company's kind of a dream place for someone that's really want to get into pen testing or someone that's been in it for a little while to really advance their career it's pretty impressive the stuff you're doing we definitely wanted to foster a culture of everyone wants to be here and we didn't want to do corporate we'd all been corporate and we wanted something that everyone that wants to be here is excited about and that's what we built very cool well, thanks for, for joining me. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, everyone, for joining, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bug Crowd's award-winning platform 
combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.